Good morning and welcome to our program, Our American Heritage. I am the host of the program, Arch Hunter, and it is our desire in American Heritage to explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. We believe that understanding the history of this great nation is paramount in understanding our greatness. So today we want to welcome our very special guest, Jim Christ. Jim, thank you and welcome back to the program. Thank you, Arch. Listeners, when I retired from full-time teaching four years ago, I was looking to get involved in some organizations that were active throughout the year. And fortunately, I was able to hook up with the Paoli Battlefield Historical Preservation. Jim is the president of the Paoli Battlefield. He has also involved in many other organizations, one of them which is the Sanderson Museum that Jim is going to be speaking about today. And listeners, we all know that New York is a city that never sleeps. Well, Jim Chris is a man who never sleeps. He is involved in more organizations and more things in the area than anyone else I know. So, Jim, talk a little bit about, if you would, before we start, your background and what motivated you to get involved in some of these local historical organizations. Well, I always grew up with a like of history. And um, in 2012, I, I moved here in 1993 and then in 2000 got a house. 2012 comes along and my wife came home with a flyer from the Paley Battlefield, and there was an event there. So I never heard of it before. Paley Battlefield? What the heck is that? So I looked it up, and it's a Revolutionary War battlefield, also dubbed the Paley Massacre. It happened after the Battle of Brandywine. That happened on September 11th. And then we had the Battle of the, the Clouds on September 16th. And then we had midnight on September 20th, the Paley Massacre, or the Battle of Paley, as we like to call it. The battle, after I went and saw that uh, the event they had at the battlefield, I decided to go to their lecture series, which they had just started that year. There was only four lectures. I went to all of them and asked if I could join the board. They said, sure. And they said, we're looking for either a treasurer or a uh, <laughs> vice president. So I took over as vice president in 2012. And then in 2018, I was elected as uh, president. Bruce stepped down to uh, Bruce Knapp, the former president, to become our treasurer. And he is our treasurer. I'm the president. Arch is on our board. And through them, I then joined the Brandywine Valley Civil War Roundtable because I also had a like of Civil War growing up around the Harrisburg area and being at Gettysburg a lot. So I eventually became vice president of the Brandywine Valley Civil War Roundtable. I then went to the American Revolution Roundtable of Philadelphia, joined that organization, and I'm now currently vice president of that organization. I then was looking for a secretary for a board. And I had worked with Olga Leek for of Historic Military Impression. She's the president of that organization. They're a group of reenactors. So she decided to become our secretary and I became their treasurer. So that was sort of a swap deal that we made out. And then I have joined since then the board of the Sanderson Museum. I'm also on the Paley Memorial Association as well. And I think that's it. If I have any more, I think my wife is going to kill me. You're sure that's it, Jim? I mean, I don't want you. I don't want you not sleep. Oh, oh, wait, wait. I forgot. I forgot. Chester County 250th <laughs> committee. I'm on that too. Yeah. So there, there we go. I think I got them on. On. Uh, I think I got my ducks in a row now. Oh uh, well, there's a lot of ducks there. <laughs> that Jim, is I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Do you remember the first okay. time I met you? <laughs> well, imagine back then. I don't know. I, was it? Did, did we interview or anything, or did you just show up in an event or somewhere? Well, several years ago. I did a lecture at the Newtown Square Historical Society. He wanted me to do something up on Anthony Wayne and my family, the Hunter family. And mm -hmm. you just ha you happened to come to that lecture. And I'm glad you don't remember it because I'm looking back at my notes and it was not very good. 
as I was a novice <laughs> about Anthony Wayne and Paoli. And, and that's, that's the first time I met you. I, I know you, mm. yeah, I guess it wasn't very memorable for you either. <laughs> but and, that, anything past a couple months, it starts to fade. Well, maybe <laughs> in my age, they even cut last, past the last meal. So we both have this passion for local history and the importance of local history and the tremendous amount we have in this area. And one of the ones that I knew nothing about until last year was the Sanders, or a couple of years ago, was the Sanderson Museum. And that's why I asked Jim to come on the show today, because it's a wonderful place. It's captivating with everything that's there. So I've asked Jim to share with the listeners a little bit of the background of Mr. Sanderson and some of the uniqueness of the museum and what is there. Well, yes, um, Chris Sanderson or Christian Carmack Sanderson was born in 1882 up in Montgomery County, up in Port Providence, and he passed away. His last house that he lived in was in Chatsford, Pennsylvania. And that, through the efforts of Andrew Wyeth and also through Tommy Thompson, became a museum after he passed away. He had a collection. He was a pack rat. He was a hoarder, if you want to call him that, which uh, he kind of said, excuse the appearance of my house, but all these things are precious to me. And uh, it could have been a flag that he wrote a date on and kept it, or it could have been a rock he picked up from the Battle of Gettysburg or a brick from uh, a station that he, when he was uh, air raid warden during World War II, he took a brick from the station mm. and they were going to knock it down. So he has all kinds of artifacts that he got and also that people gave to him. He had an extensive autograph collection when he went to Westchester Normal School, as it was called back then. He graduated the class of 1901. And yeah. the interesting thing, if you ever want to stump anybody, you can say, who graduated from Westchester University in 1902? And the answer is nobody. And the reason was Chris Sanderson's class was the last of the three-year class mm. it took to be a teacher. From then on, I went to a four-year class. So all the people who were juniors had to repeat their junior year. You know, from junior, they, they, they had a senior year added one. So uh, anybody who graduated, no one graduated in 1902. But so he graduated in 1901. Uh, he got teaching jobs. These were, again, one-room schoolhouses that he was teaching in. So he had to, you know, understand all different subjects. And he was also principal of that school. So, you know, he's teaching. He's also the disciplinarian. And he also has to make sure, you know, administrative work gets done. Chris went to, I think, about 11 different schools in his lifetime from all over the place. He, he got two in Montgomery County. He then, I think his third school was Chad Ford. And when he moved down here, he really fell in love with the area and especially the Battle of Brandywine. The Battle of Brandywine at that time had been written about, but there was no state park. Uh, there were no monuments to it except for a, a Lafayette wounding monument, which I think was 1898 was when they first dedicated that, I think. But he was essential in educating the public and also drawing maps about the Battle of Brandywine, about the troop movements, where everyone was and what happened during the during the battle. And he basically moved into Washington's headquarters hmm. in the 1920s. Uh, there was an opening, so he moved in there with his mother, got her down from Montgomery County. Her uh, husband passed away in, uh, I think it was 1898, and she lived alone with her other son, Robbie. And Chris asked her to come move in with him at Chad Ford. Robbie went to uh, live with another family. Uh, he was working at the Phoenixville Ironworks. And basically, there was a little bit of a riff. His mother kind of preferred Chris over Robbie as far as, uh, you know, doting over Chris and not so much to, to Robbie. 
but uh, she went to live with him. Chris never married. He was a bachelor for all his life. We do know that he did get maybe either one or two proposals, and uh, it always came down to, Chris, you're going to stay home and help me take care of the kids. You're not. You're going to give up this traveling all around the place looking at history. You're going to stay home and be a dad. And Chris basically just said, nope, I'm a bachelor. Forget it. And um, went on and stayed his way. So he was, you know, basically history was a very deep subject with him, but he taught other things at school to the people. What's really interesting, if you go to the museum, we have three rooms on the first floor, and then we have see, one, two, three, four, five rooms upstairs. One of the last rooms is a school room. And if you look on the photographs on the wall, you'll see that Chris taught integrated classes all the way back to like 1902 mm. or 1903. Mm. So one of the things, the reasons why that happened is Chad Ford had a very high African-American population back then and filled up in a way it used to, of course, when wealth kind of came to that area and the YS that kind of pushed all that out of the way. But that's a very high population. And Chris did it way back then. He was also another deep bit of African-American history. There was a slave by the name of Nate, I forgot what his last name was, but uh, Chris, uh, he moved to Marshallton in 1928. Chris went down there, took a photo of him, sent her a book. I think his name is Nate Sims, if I'm not mistaken. He was holding a horse for Booth when Booth shot Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. And when he came out, he pushed him out of the way and got on his horse and took off. That person pointed out to the Union troops which bridge he took to get out of Washington. And because of his giving that description, what bridge he took over, it shortened the search for for John Wilkes Booth because he knew how he got over the Potomac. So um, he was uh, very instrumental in pointing out this escape route. He moved to Marshallton in 28. He died in the 30s. I think it was 33 or 34. He died. And he, he was in an unmarked grave in Marshallton. But through the efforts of Harry Perdue, Mr. Uh, Trimble, and uh, Chris Sanderson, they actually got him a gravestone and put it on his grave. Hmm. So uh, very important to celebrate anybody with a touch of history. And that, that's sort of what he did. Like, he didn't care about it, you know, nationality or race or anything. It was, you're a part of history and, you know, you should be celebrated for it. So, And in your museum, Jim, there are some paintings or sketches from Andrew Wyeth. Is that correct? That he was friends with the Wyeth family? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. N.C. Wyeth moved in. And at first, Chris didn't know what to make of him thought maybe he might be a blue blood sort of stuck up or whatever. But when he got to know NC and NC really loved the landscape and through Chris, he learned about the history, especially of the battle of Brandywine that was near and dear to NC's heart, but also a local history and he would help paint him. And then through his friendship with NC, he got to know Andrew and Jamie and all the other different wives and, you know, the family, of course, the herds were there. They, they were the ones who taught Wyeth in his school. So he got to know that side of the family. He got to know a, a lot of artists around the area as well. So, you know, art was sort of its second extension through him. He did have some artistic ability. He did pose for some paintings and also for some magazine covers for for the Wyeths. And I think we have the, the Chester County Schoolmaster is one of the Wyeth paintings that's upstairs. We have another one that of, uh, I think it's called Historic Chester County. It's Chris and Chad Ford basically in the painting. And then we have a painting that NCYF did called Troops by the Thousand, which he gave to Mrs. Sanderson. And there's another painting upstairs that we have by NCYF of Ethan Allen. Mm. Huh. And we also have some sketches for some book covers that Wyeth did that he gave to him. There's also, we sell this at the museum. It's actually a copy of a map of Chester County. And 
inside the map of Chester County, you'll see different where things happened in the county. Like where was the Paley massacre compared to Brandywine compared to other uh, different things. And then going around the painting in like a U shape along the sides and the bottom are portraits of famous Chester Countyans, such as Anthony Wayne, such as William Penn and, and some others. And Chris always thought, you know, Chester County, a lot of it's farmland. What are we going to do for the Chester County farmers? So Wyeth just said, we'll just make one called Chester County Farmer and added it to the painting. So uh, it's a nice print. We sell it for 95 in our museum gift shop. So you can own a part of history there. Mm-hmm. And listeners, there is a wonderful cloth map of the Brandywine battle. And did he do that or did someone else do that? And is that on display at the museum? The cloth one is, we just have it in a case right now. It's kind of folded up and put on a case. We do have an eight and a half by 11 inch sheet of paper in our battlefield room. That's basically the same sketch. Chris had a very almost kind of photographic memory, even though his house was a shambles and you'd go there and you go, how in the heck did he find anything? If you asked him for something, he could, he knew exactly where he put it. He'd go find it and, you know, give it to you in, in like, you know, five or 10 minutes. Um, he also could draw like that. You could give him a piece of paper. You could draw the map of, of Brandywine on anything from a sheet of paper to a, sh- uh, a mattress sheet or a mattress, the, you know, sheets for a mattress. And that's what he used. It's, it's on cloth. And he used to draw them on that because that's, that's all he had, you know, like a big mattress bag. That was before the days of PowerPoint and stuff like that. So he would get two people to hold it up and he'd be out there pointing out, you know, how the troops moved and where everyone was stationed on this map that he had drawn. And, um, uh, I think we have several in the museum in our archives that he did. So there, there is more than one. And Jimmy, Chris collected all these things. Was Did he ever intend to have this become a museum, or, or how did this become a museum? Well, basically, Chris had gone around and collected artifacts, and wherever he lived, he would try to dedicate a room or two or maybe just a wall in, in his house to his little museum. He always wanted to show off the trinket that he had he had gotten, you know, from from all over the place. We do have on our collection. Chris went to the 50th, 75th, and 100th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, and on the 50th anniversary, he met Jenny Wade's sister Georgia. Oh, and in talking with Georgia, Georgia handed Chris Jenny Wade's basically wallet or pocketbook that she had with her when she was shot at her house in 1863 so that is part of our museum one of the pieces in our museum that's that very famous that we have and jim the museum is it now set up in different time periods or genres or, or is it how is it set up so if people lift what it's 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 basically set up in different rooms we have a battlefield room that is anywhere from rev war to to world war ii and beyond uh we have some the, the entry room is just a, a bunch of knickknack stuff that Chris had that you'll see. We have toys that he played with. There's actually a stuffed bobcat that was from Chester County. We also have a hyena head upstairs from Chester. They're all Chester County natives at that point when he was a boy. We also have a wooden water pipe from uh, a street in Delaware uh, to show you, you know, what they used mm-hmm. in the olden days for to pass water through. They actually used hollowed out logs, and there's one of them on display in our museum. We have in another room we call the Chad Ford room. It's a lot of local history plus his all you know Westchester artifacts that he had. We also have the Bernard Taylor collection, very famous um, resident of Chad Ford. He was a writer, diplomat, scientist, and I think he 
when he died, I think it was in 1876, he was minister of Germany. And he wrote a book called The Story of Kenneth. And uh, Chris read the book and basically used to take people of uh, around Kenneth Square and show them the scenes or where people lived that were in this book called The Story of Kenneth. And his sister loved it because obviously Bernard, Bernard had passed away and she was getting up there in age. So she gave the collection to Chris in hopes that it would continue on. So we do have the Bernard Taylor collection and the chat full of room. One of the funniest artifacts I always like is there's a piece of rope that is hanging there. And the plaque reads that it was broken on November 7th, 1918 by mm -hmm. Ruth Backus. actually listed the person who broke it, named the church. And it said it was broken during the ringing of the bells during the false armistice. Mm -hmm. So apparently on November 7th, 1918, when she thought the World War One was over, they rang this bell and the, the rope broke. And, you know, to anybody else, they'd throw the rope out and that was it. Not that Chris, mm -hmm. he grabbed it and had it in his collection. So we, we have it hanging on the wall at, at the Sanderson. So the, the, there's a lot of uh, the, the Chad Sword room is a lot of the local history. And then upstairs, we have the Copson room. We have the Anna Carmack room. We have the art room, as I call it, music room and the school room that hold all that stuff. And we also have a cabinet between one of the two rooms that has all of his plaques and awards that he got, especially from the uh, Freedoms Foundation, which I know you're part of. So, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't know that Jim, that he was, he was actually the first winner of the Freedom yeah. Foundation. I think it was 1962, 63, 63. Yes. I was, I wasn't born until 1983. So it's funny. <laughs> Did I say 19 or 18? <laughs> Uh, what what of George Washington that, that is at the museum? Oh, we have a piece of George Washington Fair uh, that's on there, uh, right outside the Hannah McCormick room. You'll see a picture of George Washington in the bottom. It'll say piece of hair from George Washington. Well, our curator uh, has informed me that we actually got that hair tested, and it came back positive that it is George Washington's hair. So uh, we can say we have a relic there. A relic there. And listeners, I, I'm not a museum person myself, but it's museums like this that are so there are so many unique items that is there that will just captivate you for a quite a mm -hmm. period of time. You'll look at that and say, "Oh, I remember that from the past," or you know things like that that, that are so unique to the Sanderson Museum that you don't see in the generic uh, museums across the country. And that that's one of the reasons that I wanted Jim to come on, uh, Jim. Who started the museum? Well, what Chris, Chris did, uh, Chris, through his collections, as I said, he always had some kind of either room or a wall on his room on his house that he lived in, the different houses that he lived in. He always had something of a museum in there. And when he died in that house in November of 1966, he willed all of his collection to Tommy Thompson and hoped that it would be turned into a museum, that they preserved the artifacts he had. And when they started the process of clearing his house out, it took about maybe two months for them to load up to get everything down on the patio if they want to throw out because there were tons of paper. I mean, it, it, it was, you know, in, in the latter stages, Chris really became a hoarder. And there was like newspapers there from 1800 that had just been eaten up and everything. And it, it took a long, long process for them to clean the museum out, to, you know, paint it, to, you know, sand and paint it and get it all ready, get the outside all redone. They had to redo the roofs, the porches the patios, the, you know, uh, you know, basically really thoroughly deep clean, repaint everything and get it in ship shape. And then Tom Thompson and his wife really went through everything and categorized it as to where it will go in the museum. And 
really followed up on notes that Chris had about where he got the artifacts and what kind of artifact he was. So in some instances, we do have a good chain of, you know, when he got it, like we know, for instance, Genuate's purse, we have it written down that that's how he got the purse. But there were some artifacts that we have there that we don't know how he got them. They're there. They're in really good shape. We have one of a series of, it's, it's basically mounted on a piece of uh, cardboard, well, not really cardboard, poster board. And one of them is the Lincoln assassination. We have hmm. a piece of bandage that was on Lincoln's head from his wound in uh, 1865. We then have a piece of the coffin, like it was a swatch out of the coffin, the lining of the coffin. And then we also have, I always, I always show the two pieces and then I say, here's the Sesame Street song, which one doesn't belong with the others. And it's a piece of chair from Jefferson Davis's White House. One of the chairs that Jefferson Davis had sat on, there's a little swatch in there that also added on to it. Now that came as a set, so I don't think he had a way to uh, know what, what, you know, what this person was giving sure. him, but he gave him. It, it's fascinating where just hearing some of the things that you're talking about, I wonder how in the world did he ever get that? How did he get, how did he get these things? Yeah, we, we had someone send him sand from the first atomic bomb blast out in the wow. New Mexico desert. We had people give him, you know, he taught a lot of these kids. And when they went off to war and they remembered them, some, you know, having them growing up, teaching them or teaching his kids. We had, uh, he has tile from Eva Brahms bathroom that she always brought back and gave him. He has a top piece of a fence. He was at the national, he wasn't at the National Gallery. It was one, one of the DuPonts was stationed over in England when VE Day happened. And one of the British soldiers went over and unscrewed the fence top and gave it to DuPont and said, here's from a Brit to a Yank. Thanks for helping us win the war. And in 1960, he gave that to uh, Chris to put in his museum. So some of them came like that. Some of them came where Chris got them. And some were, you know, basically artifacts that were passed down to him. People could like the Bernard Taylor collection. That just, they didn't have a museum to put it in. They wanted it displayed somewhere so they gave it to so, Jim, tell our listeners where the museum is, the hours, and when they could come and visit this wonderful museum. Well, if you go on the website, sandersonmuseum.org, it should have everything. We're located on Creek Road. We're about maybe three buildings up from the intersection of Creek Road and U.S. Route 1, which goes through Chatsford. We're about three houses up there. There, There is parking spot sort of near the creek. It's you know, we have a small little parking lot there, or you can park in the parking lot where Brandywine Prime is. And in there, you'll see the another entrance for the Sanderson Museum. We're open only on weekdays, 12 to 4. So again, 12 to 4 p.m., just on weekends. We might have some, you know, special events that we might be open maybe in the, you know, in the fall or, or sometime in the late summer. We, we might have another outdoor event on some off evening. The other thing that you can always do is to call us at the museum. If you go again, the sandersonmuseum.org, we have a phone number there. You can call and leave messages. If you want to try to arrange a private tour, if you know, you're going to have a bunch of people in and you want to arrange a private tour, we're more than happy to do that. We've done that for Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Cub Scouts. Actually, we actually had a retirement community come over and do that as well. We have, you know, people who are on a bus tour from New York that, that wanted to do a bus tour through our museum. So we can handle that as well. And listeners, I had my class from the Freedom Summit, my teacher's class, two summers ago at the museum twice, and there was 50 teachers on each session. So, Jim, thank you for sharing that about this, uh, Mr. Sanderson and the museum and another piece of local history that has tremendous impact on our country, whether through Mr. Sanderson and the museum and 
you know, what you're doing. So listeners, that's a museum that we all need to see. Uh, it'll captivate you with some of the fascinating things that Mr. Sanderson was able to collect and put on display. So Jim, thank you for sharing that with us today. We look forward to possibly seeing some of our listeners there and allowing you to be their docent. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Arch. Thank you very much for coming and again sharing about the Sanderson Museum. This is WFYL 1180 AM, working for your liberty.